The title of today's message is Justified in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What does justified mean? What does that word mean? Well, justified means being brought into right relationship with someone else. Justified means being brought into right relationship with someone else. And the someone else here is God. As a matter of fact, we have been studying the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone for the last couple of weeks. Justified. Being brought into right relationship with God is the theme here. It's the title of the message. Last week, Jim Britt taught from Romans 3, 27 to 31. Today, I have the privilege of teaching from Romans 4, 1 to 12. Well, Romans 3, 27 to 31, basically made two major points. If you remember Jim's message from last week, sola fide, faith alone. The first point is, we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, not by our works. And the second point is, that justification is available to everyone, not just Jews, but also to Gentiles. Now, to us, that might not be a big deal, but back then in the first century, remember, most believers initially, almost all of them, all of them were Jewish. And then as the years rolled by, more and more Gentiles became Christians. To the time we get to the church in Rome in about 50-something A.D., you probably have the bulk of the Christians being Gentiles, and there's a good number of Jews, and there was a little problem between the Jews and the Gentiles about the role of the Jewish faith, the law, circumcision. And so Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome to clarify the gospel. And the main point that he's saying is the righteousness of God. God's righteousness, alien to us, a foreign righteousness, is given to us and we receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. And it's available to everyone, Jew and Gentile, through faith. Jim preached that last week. Well, the message today is basically verifying what Paul said in 3.27 to 31 using two examples. And who are the two examples? Probably the two most important figures in Jewish religion. I mean, they're certainly in the top five. So Paul is going to use Abraham, the illustrious patriarch, the most well-known father physically of Israel. And he's going to use David, the most illustrious king of all the earthly kings of Israel. David would be number one. And he's going to use David and Abraham to preach the gospel to us, to the church in Rome and to us today, and to verify the truth that righteousness is by faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. So 4, 1 to 12, our text today basically says the same thing as 3, 27 to 31, using these men. So church... Open your Bibles. Let God speak to you through the patriarch Abraham, through King David, though they lived some 500 years apart from each other. They're both going to preach the gospel to us this morning. That's right. Let's hear what Abraham and David have to say to us about justification by faith alone and Christ alone, because friends, we need to hear it every day. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. So let's read it. Let us see what it means to be justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And it's available to everyone through faith. But before we read, let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would open my mouth to preach your word in a way that would honor you. 
I pray your spirit would build your church right now through the word of God. You revealed yourself to us right here. May we pay attention. Oh God, give us life. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. These words, your words, help me to preach them. Help my friends to listen and help us all to apply them in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in that table. Feel free to go get one right now. Open it up. Let's read it together. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Here comes David. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And now quoting David in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. We sang about that this morning. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here's the big question. Remember back 327 to 31. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, the Jew, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentile? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And here's why. The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So we see in these verses, eight times in these 12 verses, Paul uses the word count. The the Greek word is logizomai. It's an accounting term to account something to your credit, to your account. And he uses seven times in these 12 verses the word righteous or righteousness, dikaiosunein is the Greek word. And often in here, they're used together with the word faith, the Greek word pisteo. Not pistachio, but pisteo. Big difference. With the Greek word pisteo, faith. And he uses these words, counted righteous, with faith connecting them. So what's the main point here? The main point is, the main point of our servant, God counts us righteous by faith in Christ. God counts us righteous by faith in Christ. Where is that, Al? Show me that in the text. I'm glad you asked. Let's go and see how many times count, righteous, are used together in his text. Look at verse 3. Look at it. Put your finger on it. Verse 3. Abraham believed God. Believed is a form of pisteo. 
believed God, and it was counted to him as what? What is it? Righteousness. All right? Jump down to verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes, pisteo, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, logitsamai, as righteousness, dikaionane. Jump down to verse 6. David's going to jump in on this. David speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts, logitsamai, righteousness, dikaionane, apart from works. Jump over to verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith, pisteo, was counted, logitsamai, to Abraham as what? Righteousness. There it is again. And then in verse 11, two times we see it. For he, Abraham, received the circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe, pisteo, without being circumcised, so that righteousness, would be counted to them as well. Friends, This is the main point of the text, over and over and over and over. God counts us righteous by faith in Christ. This is the gospel of God's righteousness. This is what you need to be saved, and this is what you need to live every day of your life. We live by faith in Christ. It's the main point of the text. It's the main point of our lives, because God has counted us righteous in Christ. Listen, because God has counted you righteous in Christ. Three things are going to happen to your life. There's three effects of God counting you righteous in Christ. Here's the first one. You ready? Point one. You're going to boast in Christ. You're going to boast in Christ. God counts us righteous by faith in Christ, and therefore we boast in Christ. Why the word boast in verse 2? Look at verse 2 again. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. Why that word boast in there? Because it relates back to 327, where it says in 327, if you look there, then what becomes of our boasting? Jim preached on that. What did he say about faith? What does it kill? You remember? Faith kills human pride. That was Jim's first point from last week, because that's the point from the text from last week. And that's the point that now Paul is using Abraham to prove, because of all people who could have been proud about their works, Abraham would have been person number one. The rabbis, in fact, taught that Abraham was righteous by works, because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22. That work made him righteous before God. And Paul says, no, that's a lie. That's not truth. And let me wheel out to you Abraham himself to speak to you about it. Abraham, come over here. Speak to us, Abraham. Where does Abraham speak to us? Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. For what does the scripture say? Can Abraham boast in his works? Can we boast in our works? Are we made righteous before God because of what we do? What does scripture say? Verse 3. Quote, and he's quoting now from Genesis 15, 6 in the life of Abraham. So Abraham himself is present at this sermon. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if I were to put a picture up of the context of Abraham believing God, it would have been of a very old man, perhaps in his 80s, who had been given a promise in Genesis 
beginning in Genesis 12 and then moving to Genesis 15, that through him there would come an offspring, someone, one person, the seed of Abraham, who would bless the entire world. And that in Genesis 15, this old man with no children, whose old wife, whose womb was beyond the age of having children, menopause had long passed, dear Sarah, she was not able to have children, that this man would have children. He said, come out here, Abraham, look at the stars. Let's count the stars. That's how many children you're going to have, your offspring. Abraham couldn't make it happen. He was an old guy. What did Abraham have to do? What did he have to do, guys? Trust God. And the Bible says that his faith in God is what was counted to him as righteousness. What's amazing here, and I'm going to say this right now to you, Abraham boasted in Christ. Huh? Christ did not exist back when Abraham did this in 1500 B.C., somewhere back then. How could Abraham boast in Christ? Because he received it by faith and because this text is going to tell us he was ungodly. Look at verses 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. All that means is there's two ways for righteousness to be put to your account. Number one, it can be put to your account because you worked for it. A direct deposit. So I work for something, I get the wages of it. That's righteousness. But look at verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Remember, we're talking about Abraham. Abraham right here is called ungodly. Because we're all called ungodly. Remember, chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20, made it very clear. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. Everybody's ungodly. Jew, Gentile, everybody. To include Abraham. So how can Abraham move from ungodly to godly? How could Abraham receive the righteousness of God? How can this be true in verse 3, quoting uh, Genesis 15, 6, that he was counted as righteous by his faith if he's ungodly? Here's why. Because Abraham's sins were forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes. Mark it down. Salvation in the Old Testament is by grace. It's by faith alone and Christ alone. Oh, he wasn't fully revealed yet. I got that. That doesn't hinder God. It was based on that. In fact, the gospel is preached in the Old Testament. Show me, Al. I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Genesis 12, 3, which logically precedes Genesis 15, 6, right? 12 comes before 15. And what does it say in Genesis 12, 3? It should be on the screen. God speaking to Abraham, here's the promise. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, here's the promise, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, several years later, there's still no ch- kids. How can in me and my offspring all the families be blessed if I don't have kids yet? And that's when God says your offspring will be like the stars. And that's where Abraham believed God. But, but show me the gospel here, Al. Where do you see Jesus Christ here, Al? I'll show you the gospel. Look at Galatians 6, 9. Excuse me, 6, 8. Should be on the screen. Galatians, Galatians 6, 8. You like that? Galatians 3, 8. Look what it says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Remember justify? 
bring into right relationship people with whom you were not in right relationship. We are definitely not in right relationship with God. We definitely need to be justified. So scripture foreseeing that the Gentiles would be justified by faith, catch this, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. I love this stuff. There's gospel all over the Bible. It's not just in the New Testament. And how did he preach the gospel before to Abraham? Well, look. Quote. Quote. Paul's quoting here, Genesis 12, 13. In you shall all the nations be blessed. There's your gospel. There's your boasting in Christ. Abraham could not produce the righteousness that God required. He trusted in God, and it was boasting in Christ, because in Christ, his sins would be forgiven. In Christ, the very one whom God promised would come from Abraham's loins, his offspring, the one that would be born 1,500 years later from the tribe of Judah, Judah, one of the sons of Abraham, this one would be the one that would bless all the earth. And Abraham believed God, And it was counted to him as righteousness. Oh, friends, why would God do this? Because he's a loving, merciful God. Why would he justify us? Remember the the, um, definition of justification that Jim gave us last week? I believe that it's one of the previous slides, if you would put it up there, David Justification that Jim gave us. This is from R.C. Sproul's Essential Truths. Justification may be defined as that act by which unjust sinners, Abraham, are made right in the sight of a just and holy God. The supreme need of unjust persons is righteousness. And let's just start with Abraham, who supposedly was the most righteous one of all in a Jew's mind. It is this lack of righteousness that is supplied by Christ on behalf of the believing sinner, Justification by faith alone means justification by the righteousness or merit of Christ alone. He's hammering this point. We are not made righteous by our works, by what we do, but by what Christ has done. Not by our goodness or good deeds. And then the next uh, definition of justification, back to where we were in the notes, David. John Stott says it this way. Justification involves a double accounting. A double counting. That's that word logizomai. It can be translated in English as counting or crediting or reckoning. Those three English words can translate this Greek word logizomai. Justification involves double counting, crediting or reckoning. On the one hand, negatively, God will never count our sins against us. Because he counted them against Christ. We're going to get to that in a moment. David's going to preach that part of the gospel to us. On the other hand, positively, God credits our account with righteousness as a free gift by faith, altogether apart from our works. Abraham trusted this. He didn't see it as clearly as I'm preaching it to you now, but Galatians tells us the gospel was preached at that moment to him in this. And he believed God. He believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness in his account. Friends, for this reason, the doctrine of justification produces boasting in us. Boasting in Christ. Not boasting in ourselves, that question that he answers, asks in verse 2. Does he have something to boast about? Not before God. Or what he says in 327, then what becomes of boasting? It's excluded by what? By the law of faith. 
In what do you boast this morning, Christian? Uh, This reminds me of game six of the NBA championship last year. Uh, My son and I were watching game six. The Heat were down. We were down 3-2 in the series. And the Heat were down by five points with 27 or 28 seconds left. And we're running around my living room holding my head. You know, I'm about three inches from my big screen TV because it's up on the wall. I am panicking. And I'll never forget the, the sequence of events that happened so that with four or five seconds left, Ray Allen, and I'm going to get that picture. That, that's my Christmas wish right there. A poster with this picture. Allen in full height hitting that three from the corner. With five seconds left, Ray Allen hits the three, ties the score. We go on to win in overtime, and then we win game seven, and we win the championship. And you would have thought I was Ray Allen shooting the three-pointer at the corner. I rejoiced in it. I tweeted it. I boasted in it. I was proud of being from Miami. I was proud of being a Miami Heat fan. I told everybody everything about Miami. I boasted in it. Why do we care so much about this stuff? (laughs) We identify with it. I mean, I boasted in it as if I had done it, and I didn't. I was seated. Actually, I was running around in my living room. I was not on the court. I did not hit the shot. I could not have hit that shot. And so it is with righteousness. Jesus rose up in the corner and hit the three that we could never hit. Jesus did on the cross what we could never do. Took the penalty for my sin and gave me the righteousness I could never earn. But I get to run around the room and rejoice in it. I get to tweet about it. I get to Facebook about it. I get to tell people about it. Do I? Oh, let's be a boastful church. As boastful as we were when the heat won. Because this is far greater. This is far greater. This is far greater. Now what does David have to say about all this? Point two. David would say this. Not I boast in Jesus Christ. You know why? Because I am blessed in Jesus Christ. Oh, this is good stuff. Verse six. Paul rolls out David. Next witness, please. King David. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Lagitsamai. Dikaiosunain. Count righteous apart from works. That is to say, by faith. And then he's going to quote now Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Oh, friends, this blessing that David shares with us is possible because of Christ. David boasted in Christ. Trust me on that one. David was justified by Christ. David was a murderer and an adulterer. And he trusted Christ for his righteousness. He penned these words because of Christ. Friends, blessing, you are blessed. Your lawless deeds are forgiven because Christ was judged for those deeds. Friends, your sins are covered because Christ was exposed literally on the cross for your sin and he bore your sins and nakedness and shame. And friends, verse 8, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Your sins are not counted against you because they were counted against Christ. I'm going to boast about that. 
That's better than a three-pointer in the corner. I could never get that done. Jesus did. Listen, Jesus satisfied the righteous precepts of the law with his perfect life. And Jesus paid the righteous penalty of me breaking the law on the cross. Instead of receiving the just punishment of my sins, I receive the righteousness of Christ by faith, the reward of his obedience. His riches are counted or credited to my account. My debt is paid. I go to do my taxes. I don't know owe anymore. I click on my bank account. There's $40,000 in there. Where'd that come from? This is back to verses 4 and 5. It's a gift. This is what the Bible calls, or theologians call, double imputation. Double imputation. Stay with me. Here's a quote from Jerry Burgess. Trying to explain double imputation. Jesus, by his death, shed blood completely satisfied the justice of God and the claims of his broken law, the penalty. Here's the first part of the imputation. By Jesus' death on the cross and his shed blood. By his perfect obedience, the other side of imputation, the positive side. By his perfect obedience, he positively fulfilled the requirements of the law. God expects me to fulfill it. He expects you to fulfill that. This is who God is. Thus, in both its precepts, righteous, perfect life, and its penalty, punished for breaking God's law, the law of God and its most exacting requirements was fulfilled by Jesus. And he did this in our place as our representative and our substitute. Why would he do this? That's the question we should ask. Not like, oh yeah, whatever. Oh, this is a huge whatever. Why would he do it for you, for me? A bunch of malagradecidos. bunch of ungrateful, evil people. Why? Amazing grace. Friends, Jesus was cursed that we might be blessed. That's why. You want to be blessed this way? Then you receive Jesus who was cursed for you. That you might be blessed in Him. Yes. Thank you for that. That encouraged me. I just got one of these, okay? I mean, we just sit here and cheer like, yeah, whatever. And if we're watching the heat right now, we're going nuts. He hit it. Yeah. I am screaming. Where's Joe? Joe's around here somewhere. Joe thought I was going to have a heart attack. I'm terrible to watch a game with because I'm, I'm so negative. Oh, we're going to lose, Joe. Oh, it's LeBron just turned. Oh, we're going to lose. Joe's like, no, Dad, get stay in there. Stay in there. Where are you, Joe? Raise your hand. There you go. Got a haircut. I couldn't spot the big curls. Man, man, when he hit that three, we just went nuts. Nuts. Go nuts here. Listen, we, we often hear people proclaim, I'm serious. Young people, this is what you go nuts over. This is what life's all about. This is what I live for. This is what I will die doing. This is what I give my life to. This is what this church is all about. Living this, preaching this, letting it impact our lives, our conflicts, our schooling, our employment, our sexuality, everything. This. You know, we often hear people proclaim they are blessed. You hear it on TV a lot. We've heard it recently with the Grammys and the Oscars. I'm blessed. 
I'm blessed. I won the Grammy. I won the Oscar. I'm blessed. I won the NBA championship. I'm blessed. I've succeeded in my business. I'm blessed. I've got the house of my dreams. I'm blessed. I'm in good health. My children are in good health. I was with my grandchildren this morning. They're beautiful. I'm blessed. I have beautiful, healthy grandchildren. I don't take that for granted. I was at a funeral yesterday for a little grandbaby of a friend of mine, Louis Chisholm. I'm blessed with the job of the lifetime. I'm blessed to be able to go to seminary. I'm blessed. Yes, those are all, no doubt, good blessings. Enjoy them. Recognize they come from God. But learn this, learn this from this text, that all these blessings, without the blessing of forgiveness of sins, oh, friends, without the blessing of the righteousness of Christ accounted to you, are only going to make you comfortable on your way to hell. I appeal for all of us to place our faith in Christ. If for the first time today, please. But every day I live by faith in the righteousness of Christ. As David did. I'm blessed because he's forgiven my sins. He's covered them. Listen, we are justified by God in Christ. No more condemnation. We are accepted by God in Christ. No more alienation. You feel alone? You're not alone? You've been accepted by God. doesn't matter who rejects you, who makes fun of you. We are forgiven by God in Christ. No more accusation. Story is told of Luther being woken up at night by Satan sitting on his bed, listing all his sins, accusing him. Luther says, is that all? Satan, no, I got some more. He says, great, when you got the list done, just write at the bottom, covered by the blood of Jesus. And he went back to sleep. There is joy in our lives because of Christ and His justification of us and the righteousness He gives us. This joy is palpable. Listen to what Thomas Schreiner says. I love this quote. I believe this quote, by the way, is one of the emphases of our communion in just a moment. Those who have experienced forgiveness of sins are conscious of receiving a great blessing from God, a gift that brings happiness precisely because it is undeserved and unexpected. We didn't deserve this and we're not expecting it. Our wonder shouldn't be, why don't I get more from you, God? Our wonder is, why did I get this? We recently got a a gift card in the mail. You know who it is? Thank you for sending. I didn't expect it. I certainly didn't do anything to earn it. (laughs) It wasn't a wage for a work that I'd done. It was pure grace. It was a gift. Does that thrill you? Does it make you grateful? Are you a thankful, grateful, happy person? Not happy according to the most popular song today, which is a great song to dance to. But the theology is terrible, terrible theology. Are you happy because you understand what God has given you and it's undeserved and it's exciting and it surprised you? Does it still surprise you when you look in the mirror and go, ugh, and say, God loves that guy? Now, I'm not even talking about the, the physical, perhaps, ugliness. <laughs> talking about the spiritual you know who you are and he loves you Hmm. point three because we are blessed in christ because we boast in christ friends we are brothers and sisters in christ no time to expand on this one the big problem in the church in rome is you had jewish christians and gentile christians and they weren't getting along so today it's not jewish and gentile it's cuban american it's american it's african-american it's haitian american it's whatever american it's colombian salvadorian it's welcome to miami right it's rich poor it's democrat republican it's white black it's urban it's country 
You name it. It's gators, hurricanes. <laughs> you name it. What divides us? Let me tell you what, what unites us, and it was radical back then, that Abraham wasn't just the father of you if you were a Jew, but Abraham was your father if you had the faith of Abraham. That's what this last part says. Look at it with me. Verse 9. Is this blessing that we just talked about, is it only for the circumcised, the Jew, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? This is Jim's second point yes, last week. Was it before or after he had been circumcised? While he was a Jew or before he was a Jew? Right? Circumcision, the sign of the covenant. It was before. Why? Here's the purpose statement. Verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised physically but who walk in the footsteps of faith, of Abraham. In the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. What Paul is saying here is that circumcision did not make Abraham righteous. No, he was righteous by faith in Christ alone, by faith in God alone. He trusted, boasted in Christ, was blessed in Christ. And because of that, circumcision was the mark of his righteousness. Now, in the New Testament, we don't have circumcision, thank the Lord, as the mark of the covenant. But what do we have? We have baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is the mark. It's what God says to please be baptized. It doesn't say please, he commands it, preach the gospel in all the world, great commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? It doesn't save me, but it is the mark that says, I have the righteousness of God by faith. Remember in Acts, giving Gabby a moment to catch up. She's translating me. In Acts, When the question was, do Gentiles have to be circumcised to be saved? What was the answer? No. They're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. So he's saying, Abraham is the father of us all by faith. By the way, we're having a baptism here in a month. Let me invite you to consider this. If you don't understand baptism, if you've never, ever been baptized, come talk to me. We have at least two, maybe three or four people that are going to be baptized because God has regenerated their hearts. They're, they're new converts. We're going to baptize them, on, baptize them on Palm Sunday, April the 13th. It's going to be part of the service. We're going to preach on Jesus coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as part of the service, we're going to march right out those doors, right out to the front. We're not going to do it in the back anymore. We're going to go right out in the front. And we're going to have that portable baptistry provided by the Southern Baptist Convention. So glad for those guys. A little replica of John the Baptist standing right next to it. Just kidding. And, um, and we're going to baptize people. That doesn't make them righteous. They're righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. If you would like to be baptized or talk about it, come see me, Jim, or Corey. Also, on the Sunday before, April the 6th, in the morning, about 8.45, in the same room where we have starting point now, uh, we're going to have a class on that, Okay. Why would God take away and cover my sins? Why would God count me righteous? Why would God place me in this body of believers with you as my brothers and sisters? Because of his amazing, extravagant love for us. Because of his grace. Because he wants to commune with us. Because he longs to be in union with us. Here's my appeal to you this morning as we transition. Let us boast in Christ. You can do the next slide. 
because we have been blessed in Christ. And so live as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us boast in Christ because we have been blessed in Christ. And let's live as brothers and sisters, putting aside our petty differences. We have one Father, yes, Heavenly Father, but Abraham's our Father. Because we are of the faith of Abraham. And let us do this by celebrating communion together. Ushers, please take your positions. I want to seize upon this theme of joy from point two of Schreiner's quote. Can you please put the next slide, Schreiner's quote up? Let's remember what Thomas Schreiner said about this passage. Those who have experienced forgiveness of sins are conscious of receiving a great blessing from God. A gift that brings, precise, brings happiness precisely because it is undeserved and unexpected. Recently, I did my taxes. I took a vacation day, a staycation day. Isn't that lovely? I'm going to take a vacation to go do my taxes. Yeehaw. So I did my, our taxes, me and Des, my daughter's, Stephanie's taxes, and my son Joseph's taxes. You know, his, his millions that he makes, they're going to school. Uh, and, 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 you know, and it would be like doing my taxes and suddenly realizing, hey, not only do I not owe anything to the IRS this year, <clears throat> but wow, someone deposited like $150,000 in my bank account. Imagine that. That's the undeserved and unexpected nature of this. Our justification by faith alone in Christ alone is really great news. And I appeal to you, who have not experienced this great news. Oh, I appeal to you if you're here right now. We're about to receive communion, which is the second sacrament that Jesus initiated. Baptism I spoke about earlier was the first. Communion was the second, or vice versa. This sign, for it to be true and not just a joke or something we do outwardly, which we never want it to be that. This is not just something we do once a month. For it to be true of you, you must have placed your faith in Christ. You must be blessed the way it's listed here by David and Abraham. You must trust in Christ who was cursed on the cross for the penalty of your sin. If you have not done that, I just appeal to you, let these elements pass. Ushers, you can start making your way down. Just hold off on on passing it out. Just make your way down. Let these elements pass you if you haven't done that, okay? But as they pass you, Let them speak to you. Don't let them pass you silently. Let them say to you the gospel you've just been hearing me preach. And may the Spirit of God give you faith, repentance. May He open your eyes so that this would be a sign of what's happened to you. God paying your debt and placing untold riches that He requires in your account. And if you are a believer... And I believe that's most of us here. I want to speak to you. I want to focus on the joy that God gives us in Christ. I want to read with you a passage out of Ezra, chapter 6 here. It's a passage that the Lord brought to my attention this week in my quiet time. And it's a passage speaking of Ezra, who in around 500 B.C. is leading God's people back from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, to Israel, Because they had been in exile for about 70 or so years because of their idolatry and disobedience to God. And God's leading his people back. He's rebuilt the temple. He's rebuilding Jerusalem, the city. Much like us, he's rebuilding our lives. He's building us together as a church. At times it's rough going. It can be discouraging. But he tells Ezra, the priest, I want you to celebrate Passover again. 
And this is their celebration of Passover. This is a picture of what we're doing now. This is fulfilled in that, that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that we eat his body and drink his blood. Of course, they did not drink the blood of the lamb, but they ate the the, the flesh, and that delivered them, Passover. They were delivered from God's judgment. That's what we're doing here. But I want you to note something. The feature I want you to note here is the joy present. That's what I believe God wants to restore to some of you. And I would include myself in that today. It's been a tough week for me. I've shed some tears this week. I don't cry. If you know, if you've grown up in my family, there's like no crying in the Pino household. It's like a rule. I, I cried this week. I, I'm still grieving. But this brings me joy. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. This type is fulfilled in Christ. They slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, for themselves. It was eaten, verse 21, by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 22. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days, now catch this, with joy. How'd they keep it? With joy. This is what the justification, the doctrine of justification does. It produces joy in us. For the Lord had made them joyful. Oh, may God make you joyful and me joyful in this. This isn't just something we do every third Sunday of the month. Oh, no, 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 no. This brings me joy. And it turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, of God, the God of Israel. The idea of joy empowering us. The joy that he would not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? That joy, the joy of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, is what moves us. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would give us joy as we receive your elements. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, would you please begin serving the folks? We're going to hold off on singing for just a moment. As they serve us, I want you to listen to the gospel of God's righteousness in Christ that we received by faith this morning. You're going to see scriptures displayed here on the, uh, on the screen. Remember that justification is like two sides of a coin. On the one side of the coin, we're declared not guilty before God. And on the other side of the coin, we're declared positively righteous through Christ. So let's preach the gospel to ourselves. As we see Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Listen, let this wash over you as the, as the elements are coming by. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. Oh, let that wash over you and bring you joy, friend. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Colossians 1.22 But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. That's what we're representing here. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Oh, friends, this is all of God. If you're dead, you cannot make yourself alive. If you're dead, you cannot hear God's call. 
You can only hear it when he makes you alive. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Psalm 103, 12. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And finally, Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Oh, friends, God's love and forgiveness flow to us through the cross at the great price of Christ's atoning death. So take and eat the body of Christ. Please take and eat at this point. Take and drink the blood of Christ poured out for you to cover your sins. Take and drink. And let us stand together and sing.